0: You guys can grab a seat. We are in the book of Matthew, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. Usher's will pass one out. Um, we, it's a, it's an interesting section that we are, are going to hit... Um, we're going, to kind of, we're going to hit the beginning of the last kind of block of teaching. So there's five kind of big blocks of teaching that, that work through the Gospel of Matthew. The first one is chapters 5 through 7. It's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus kind of beginning the idea of what he's about to teach and how he wants to reverse and return everything back to that. And then the second block is in, in chapter 10, where it's kind of the commissioning of the, of the disciples. He's, he's sending them out and getting them to work. And then in chapter 13, we see the parables of the kingdom. And then in chapters 18, we see how living in community and in obedience to Jesus' teaching through chapter 18. And then now, this last chunk of teaching, kind of chapter 23 through 25. This is the last big block of teaching that Jesus has. And it's interesting, if you look at kind of the point of this one, this last section is warning about the future and and the character of the false leaders that are out there. And so this is not exactly one of those like, yay, we're going to talk about this today kind of messages. In fact, we're going to hit this, talk about it today, and then we are not meeting here on Christmas Eve. We're meeting at the Linen Building with City Church. We're going to do Christmas Eve together as two communities, which would be awesome. And then on December 27th, we do not have services here, guys, so don't show up. It's just a day for you guys to go be the, the kingdom to your family and friends and just relax and enjoy for volunteers taking some time off as well. But then at the beginning of the year, we'll start into what is one of the hardest sections of scriptures. It's the Woe to You section. What a great way to like begin a year for church, right? We're going to look at church growth at the beginning of the year and see how that works for us, where we're talking about how Jesus is kind of... Letting down all of his inhibitions and name-calling and all sorts of stuff comes out towards the religious leaders. So it's an interesting set of scripture. But um, before we dive in, there's there's a couple things that historically we need to understand um, contextually that will make this make a little bit more sense. In Jesus' day, there were a number of different religious leaders. So you had the Sadducees, which you've read about and you've heard. And Sadducees were mainly in charge of the temple. And the big issue with the Sadducees and their religious leadership is that they were, uh, not all of them, but predominantly about money. And so they were always looking for better ways to become rich and have um, their hierarchy and their their way in the temple. And so it was all about money. And then that takes you to um, the Herodians, which they were a political party that was in support of King Herod. And so that obviously tells you the issue that they have. Everything they wanted to do was against the Jewish people and for Rome, really. And so, not, not again, these are big generalizations, but this is another sect of, of religious leaders kind of in this area. And then there's a, a, another a group called the Essenes, which aren't actually mentioned biblically, but we get um, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls of Qumran. They, their point was, and they were directly devoted to um, rewriting and interpreting scripture, rewriting scripture over and over again. And so we don't necessarily see those in the Bible, but they were another sect in this area right now. Um, very, very reclusive and kind of hidden. And then you have the zealots where were radical nationalists that were, their whole point and desire was to militarily um, destroy and overturn Rome and they're, they're, they're occupi- occupying them. So so you have these zealots. And so for the Jewish people, the unlearned people, the people that didn't have access to a lot of, of the, the scriptures or the understanding of it, they had to look to a people group. They had to look to a leader and that was predominantly how it was passed down. Well, that left the Pharisees and the Pharisees, there was a, a they, they estimate around 6,000 or so Pharisees in, in Jesus's day. And the Pharisees were the, the one, one sect, one group that was devoted to keeping God's commands. And so they were devoted to it and they spent their time to it. So they were of, of kind of, of all the religious leaders, they were the, 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 the least, are the best of the worst options I guess in essence and and realistically the Pharisees' desire was never to be um, in a spot where they're receiving a bunch of woes from Jesus at the end of his life here on earth. Like That wasn't their desire. Their desire was to to, to teach and to take and to push forward the, the, the word of God and, and to bring people to follow those commands. And so that was their desire. In fact, we have uh, a number of different scholars and theologians talk about different styles of Pharisees. And just to say a few, I, I thought some of them were kind of intriguing. There was a... Um, there was about seven different kinds, but one of them was was a shoulder Pharisee. They would call him the shoulder Pharisee, and the reason why they called him the shoulder Pharisee is that they were always looking over their shoulder to see their good deeds. So they were always trying to keep track of how many good deeds they have, figuring out how many rewards that would be, and so they were all about their good deeds. And then there was a... um, a feared, a fearing Pharisee. A fearing Pharisee was a Pharisee that was so afraid of hell that they chose to follow God. And that was their, that was their whole motivation. That was what they were doing. And then one of my most favorite ones was the bruised and bleeding. This was a, a group of Pharisees that, would, um, that were so afraid of looking at a woman lustfully that they just would walk with their eyes closed and heads down. And, well, they'd run into a lot of stuff. So that's why they were bruised and bleeding. So that was, this, this is what they were. And then there was a really small sect of God-fearing Pharisees. There were Pharisees that were that were that truly desired to see God in in the right way. And Nicodemus is an example of them. They're very, very small, very unknown, and most of those Pharisees surrendered to Jesus in his walk and walked as him as the Lord. The rest of the Pharisees spent all their time talking about how Jesus couldn't be the Messiah and, and how they wanted to destroy him. And then you have the scribes. Now the scribes were experts of the law, devoted to trans um, um, Translating the scripture and, and and communicating it to others and, and rewriting it over and over again, and the scribes themselves actually kind of fell into those other religious sects. And scribes predominantly were, were aligned to Pharisees in this day. So so you have this kind of religious system where most of the people, the, the common people, so to say, only had one group of people, the, the Pharisees, to look to for their religious life. And the Pharisees over time um, they, they began sometime uh, about two, three, or four hundred years BC before Jesus, when this kind of grew up and and blew up and they they started creating all kinds of extra rules and laws on top of the 10 commandments, mainly for their whole reason to keep the 10 commandments. Holy. So their desire was, if we create this, well, then we don't do it. So, okay, how do we not break the Sabbath? Well, let's make a rule about what you can and can't do in your home and how many steps you can make and, and regulation on regulation after regulation so that you can keep the Sabbath and not fall in that. So then they had all kinds of rules with what were what were laws, and we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, laws that were light laws and, and heavy laws, laws that you could, you could choose to follow and these ones are the ones you could break. And so there's kind of this mess going on of of, of what it meant to follow God for most Jewish people in this day, and then Jesus comes into the scene. And if you remember, from the very beginning, the very beginning, even before Jesus steps up, John the Baptist calls the, the Pharisees a brood of vipers. So so there's there's already an understanding of how exhausted most of the followers are when it comes to Pharisees, and they're seeing a bit of hypocrisy in what the Pharisees are saying, and yet doing is the same. And so that's this scene that's kind of this last bit of teaching just Jesus does when he's on the earth and that we get in the in the gospel of Matthew. So so he comes back and doesn't teach about resurrection He doesn't teach about this. He, he comes in and starts teaching about false leaders, comes in and starts teaching about what does it mean to be um, characterized um, as a follower of Jesus. Now, I had a, a mentor once tell me this. and He said that um, where talent ends, you have to rely on character. So he said a lot of people will have immense talent, but the gap of their character is so low that when talent falls, it falls back in character. And we've seen this. We've seen this with, with all kinds of people in the, in the social media or really, really large religious leaders or people that have followed God for so long. And you see like everything seems amazing. And then all of a sudden, boom, implosion, everything happens. What happened is, is talent, What they're writing talent and not the character. There's too much of a gap, and predominantly for us, when we don't have the character to sustain our talent, we are a walking, ticking bomb, in essence, that we are relying on our talent to carry us along. Well, sooner or later, your talent will not suffice, and you have to rely on character. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to exploit and kind of point out that the, the leaders here have this, this talent. They seem to know everything. They have the position and the power and the prominence that they need amongst the people. But the character is not even close to lining up to it. And my fear is, is for a lot of us, the same could be said of us. For a lot of us is that we, although we wouldn't say we are religious leaders, a lot of us have great talent, but our character is, is, is dragging in the mud. Our talent's as high as possible. In fact, everyone can look at us and say, wow, you're so holy. Look at you. And on the outside, it looks good, but our character is just waning and waning. And that's what Jesus is about to exploit. He's going to lay out about five different ways why we are not to have the character of a Pharisee. Which, again, for everyone in this day was a really, really radical thing to think. Because for these Jewish people, they're going, well, who do we look to then? The only people that have been teaching us and have been doing these things, they've been teaching us the laws of, of Moses and all the things that were to command are the Pharisees. So then who? We're not going to go to the Zealots. We're not going to go to the Herodians. I mean, what do we do here? And so that's what Jesus is doing is he's essentially one last kind of stab at this. And he's, he's very clear. Now, after he talks about the character, he talks about what this character leads to. And that's the next few weeks at the first of the year. And so we can talk about this today and what character we do and don't have, but the 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 cost of the character of these Pharisees is so high that you don't want to just play with this. So my encouragement and, and challenge for all of us would be that, that um, God would exploit in ourselves some of the character in which we've been relying on talent and not character. Some of the areas in which maybe we've been, we've been looking past our own character and, and in hoping that, that God would just kind of ignore that or others would ignore that and our talent could sustain us. And that never, ever works because your talent requires you to do and to work and you get tired Character is who you are. Character is what what sustains us in those difficult times. So Matthew chapter 23, where it picks up. Um, Jesus, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So he's now teaching us. He's speaking to his disciples. He's teaching to you and to me, saying to them, to us, yes, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians and the the Sadducees and and all the, uh, the chief priests and all the other individuals are in the room hearing this on this temple mount. They're probably experiencing a lot of what he's saying, but he's communicating. Jesus is speaking to you and me as the crowds and disciples, those that follow Jesus and those that don't. And he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Okay, we're going to pause there real quickly. Moses does not have a physical seat, just so you know. It wasn't like some chair, like, oh, that's Moses' chair. Who wants to sit in it today, right? No, what he's talking about is a seat of power and authority. For everyone, they understood that this term, the Moses' seat, meant this is where the law of of God came from. This is where the law of God came from was Moses. And so he was the, the spokesperson for God to us. And so they said, okay, anyone that sits in his seat is now saying that they are the spokesperson of God to us. And so he sits in God's seat. He sits in Moses' seat. So they take this themselves. Now Jesus says this very clearly. He doesn't say that they have been given Moses' seat. He doesn't say that God has placed them in Moses' seat. No, he says they have taken Moses' seat. So in, in essence, the first, first character uh, characteristic of a false leader is no authority. See, the Pharisees, and this is what Jesus was butting heads, he proved so ferociously and loudly when he came into the temple and overturned all those tables in front of everyone and no one stopped him. And when they questioned him, they couldn't, they couldn't answer the questions he came back and they couldn't answer the questions he gave them. They, they could not compete with him. And he proved to them that their authority was placed on by themselves and that they were sustaining their authority because of who they think they were and not because God had placed them there. So these Pharisees and scribes, they took Moses' seat. They have no authority. So this is an issue with us today, and this is why I think social media is such a scary, scary thing, is that a lot of us take the authority of other individuals because we just like the way they speak. Or we just think that they have a cool ministry. Or because they have thousands of other people following them. The the, the tricky part about that, guys, is that we don't know them well enough. And we don't know if God gave them this authority. And this authority we'll hear very quickly is, is kind of a silly authority, right? But if God placed them into this position or if they took it themselves. So the Pharisees actually had no authority. A false leader has no authority. It was not, they were not placed or given or called by God into that place. They aren't God-fearing, they aren't surrendered, and they aren't accountable leaders. And that's what's scary is we have so many famous people that are leading us and they aren't accountable. They're just right really well, or they seem smart. And it's so, so, so dangerous. And that's essentially what the Pharisees were. They were not placed by God. They took, they took that seat. And then we'll see as we get further in, that all the other character proves that very first one. So if you're like, well, what if this person that I'm following is that way? Well, first off, if you don't know them personally, it's gonna be really hard to know them. <laughs> I don't know if that was like revolutionary for you. You're like, whoa. But if you've never met the person, you're probably not gonna know them very well. You can know of them And you can see aspects of it and you can look at fruit of their life, but there's no way to really know them. But the rest of these other characteristics that we're gonna talk about will start to show through and they always do and they always will because ultimately God is the one who gives authority. God is the one who places people and calls people into their positions that they're in. God has called you into this room. He has called you to follow him. It is God who does the working, not man. And we have too many men or women saying that they have authority when God never, ever gave them that position or gave them that calling. And that's essentially what the Pharisees are doing. They have no authority. They took the seat of Moses. They took it and said, we speak to you on behalf of God. And everyone was following him in that. So the first issue is he says, they have no authority because they're wicked, wicked men. And he goes on. It says in verse three, this is the most interesting thing ever. He says, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do for they preach, but do not practice. And so he goes on and says, he says, now I want you to practice and observe what they're teaching you. Wait, wait, you just said that they took the seat and they're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Yeah. But what they say about Moses and his commands is good. And see, I think a lot of us will take, um, and push away. We see this with the church, we see someone fail in a church, and so then it's like, well, obviously the whole church is a mess, and who cares, and we're out, and we just push everything away. It's like, it's like you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, which, by the way, I was thinking about that this week. I don't know how that became a thing. I'm sure there's like a Wikipedia site for it, but that is a horrible saying. Have you ever thought about that? Like, th- like you know, you're bathing a baby. And it's like, well, I'm done bathing. What's this thing crying? Oh, well, you know, throw it out. I mean, like, how do you miss that? Sorry. Anyways, that's, that was free. But it's the idea of saying that we're going to say, well, everything because the person's wrong, obviously everything they say is wrong. Well, that's not true. And just like I mentioned some of those those famous people that you've been following and you read their books and everything, they have some huge fail. doesn't mean that everything that came out of them was false. And Jesus is saying very clearly that the Pharisees that teach the law of Moses is still good. Now do it. Observe it. Saying you're not free from it. So this whole mentality that we have, well, there's too much hypocrisy in the church, so I'm just not going to do it. Sorry, Jesus just put you on the hook for it. saying it doesn't matter the hypocrisy. the, The truth of God's word is still the truth, and therefore do it. Observe it. But then he says, but don't do what they do. Now, if you're a parent, you've experienced this moment. When your kid's doing something, you're like, how come you're doing that? And your lovely wife looks and says, because you do it. And you're like, oh, man, I told you not to do that, but I do it. We've all experienced some form of hypocrisy. We've all experienced that where we say, like, this is what we believe, but we do something drastically different he's saying, the Pharisees lack integrity. They have no integrity. Not, not only, not only do they, do they put this in place, these huge loads and these, these ridiculous things, but they, they actually want you to basically do as they say, but not as they do. It, it makes no sense. They have no integrity. So the characteristic issue is, is, that there is no integrity in the Pharisees. Now my question is for you. When we go to that character chart in ourselves, Where's your integrity? Oh, no, no, I, I believe in Jesus. It's great. I believe he's, he's holy and I believe his scriptures are true. But when it comes to following him in my life, I don't know if that really applies to me. I know, I know, I know. I, I'm just going to find someone else out there in the world that can agree with me. And then I can say I'm following that. That's, a, that's an integrity issue. And, and my fear is so many of us lack integrity. Integrity. When it comes to following Jesus We say we love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength But he doesn't get our resources or our time Or really much of our energy And he's really not the center of who we are or what we're doing In fact, he's just kind of a It's kind of a, like a thing that we tag on at the end And we put it, you know, around Christmas time Say "Oh, holy night and, and, and sing that and call it good See, that, that's what the Pharisees are they, they said all these things They said all the right things That's the scariest part is I bet some of you are so good about saying the right things Is it doing them? And the Pharisees weren't doing them. They said them, but they didn't do them. They didn't do them at all. And my my assumption is there's a number of us that have an area of integrity that God is is trying to break free from the lack of it. He's trying to break us free and say, Look, this isn't what it's about. This isn't what you're supposed to be like. This isn't it's not about that. Stop saying the right stuff and start doing the right things. And he pushes on their integrity. So they, they, they have no authority and they, they lack integrity. And then in verse four, he says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And so he goes on to talk about, which how, how in contrast is this to Matthew 11, where Jesus says, my yoke and my burden are light and easy. Right? The Pharisees had made it so hard and so difficult to follow God that it was virtually impossible for any one person to complete it. It was impossible, and they put these heavy, heavy things, and they wouldn't even do them. In fact, we have history where, where the Pharisees are breaking the Sabbath to confront Jesus on breaking the Sabbath. I mean, does it make sense? Like they, were like they were breaking every aspect of the Sabbath to try and get Jesus in trouble for breaking the Sabbath. Like This is how ludicrous their thinking was. Right? They, they put the heaviest burdens. They said, you have to do this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and, this, and then maybe God will be pleased with you. Oh, and don't forget this and this and and, well, and, and then there's this. The Pharisees lacked all sympathy. In fact, they had no problem. They had no problem putting on these heavy burdens for everyone else to follow without even moving a single finger to do one thing of them. This is where I think you and I, where this plays out and our sympathy is our expectations of forgiveness to someone else. I feel like this plays out in each and every one of us to one extent. That family member, that friend, that ex, that that person that hurt us, we have a list of expectations of what they need to do before we'll forgive them. You need to do this, and 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 then I'll forgive you. But when it comes to God, it's like, no, 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 God, you gotta forgive me right away. Your word says it. Your grace is sufficient, just give it to me. Come on. So hypocritical, we lack sympathy. And the Pharisees created this huge system saying, you cannot be loved by God. You cannot please God unless you do all these things. And Jesus comes in and says, no, no, no. God is delighted in you. In fact, to be with him, it doesn't take anything but complete surrender. And then the doing that we talk about, that comes after. By his strength inside of us. His word compelling us. His spirit leading us. So if you're exhausted and working your tail off trying to please God, you've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. You're a part of a pharisaical system where you think you have to do this and this and this and this and this and then God will be pleased with you. You God calls us of everything. He calls us to surrender everything. He calls us to be obedient. He calls us to die to ourselves. It's not easy, I get that. But it's, it's, it's what we desire to do when his spirit's inside of us, leading us to it. his spirit that gives us the strength to even do it so the pharisees lacked sympathy they were willing to they were willing to to create all kinds of heavy burdens for people to do so that they could basically feel better about themselves because no one else could could make the system work and for you and i it's it's we are we are right before god not because of anything we earned or did but because of what he did and we get to graciously, because of his grace, we get to live out what it means to love him through obedience to his commands. We, they lack sympathy. Verses, uh, verse five, it says, they do, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Yeah, we don't have a problem with that, do we? <laughs> Where they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and, it's, and, and the, um, the, the best seats in the synagogues. And so verse 5, let's start there. They, they, they make their phylacteries. First, this is a, so what this was is a leather box. This was something that they would put. It was set in place. We see Numbers 11 and a couple other spots in the Old Testament was the idea to, to help individuals remember who God was. And so what they would do is they'd take these little leather boxes and they'd put them on their heads and they'd have the scriptures, those, those four or five scriptures that, that they wanted to pray through and be remembering over and over again. Or they'd put them high on their left arm to, um, to be close to the heart. You can still see Orthodox Jews doing this in, in Israel. I saw that. They still have those in place. But they were meant only for a time of prayer. And some of them would be on the hand, too, by the way. They'd put some on the hand. But the point of these were to remember what to pray for, remember why you're praying, remember who God is. And so it was, it was strictly the purpose of remembering. Now, the Pharisees, they'd be going over to five guys, ordering a burger, and they'd be wearing these things on the top of their head. They weren't time of prayer. They were just wanting people to see how holy and spiritual they are. They didn't, they didn't really mean them. They'd lost their purpose. They were just trying to wear them. They'd get them bigger and bigger and bigger, and it looked ridiculous and hideous. And it was the same thing for the tassels. It was in number, Numbers 11 again, we see that the, God says, put on the tassels and gives very specifics on the outer garments. And it's to remind you of my goodness, to remind you of who I am, to remind you to keep my commands. Well, what happened is as the Pharisees had gone along, their, their tassels had gotten even huger. It's like a peacock, you know, hanging out back here, this tassel. Like, look, look, I want to please God. Look at me. Look at this. Jesus even wore tassels. Every good Jewish person had tassels on their outer garments, but they would just be small. Sometimes they worked their way inner. And they're on the inside, and it was a, it was meant to be a personal reminder of who God is, and to pray for Him, and to be praying with Him. It meant it meant that, and the Pharisees had exploited it. The Pharisees lacked spirituality. There was no real spirituality, and it was all to be seen by others. They didn't care if what it meant. The whole focus was on doing that very thing, so that others would see them as holy. How many of us have done that before? Right, we do something because we're hoping that someone will notice. Look, there there is nothing, I want to say this really clear. there's nothing wrong with wanting to be appreciated. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're doing it for appreciation, you're not doing it for the right reasons. Let me of you done this? Let me let me give you an example. You know, you picked up some chairs today and you're like, oh, I'll put these chairs down. Yeah, look at that. And you sat there and went, man, not a single person thanked me. I put those chairs with all my, I mean, sweating. I mean, not a single person came and said, man, these chairs are perfect, thank you. You're doing it for the wrong heart. We have musicians that do the same thing. No one's ever thanking me for playing in the band. If I got up here and said, if you guys don't thank me for preaching, I'm out. I need to be out, just so you guys know, okay? If I say that, just say, see you later, Brent, have fun. We, 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 we do stuff to be noticed by men and women, not, not for God. And we take more joy in someone noticing what we've done than we actually do the God whom we're we're claiming to do him for. And that's what the Pharisees were messing up. There was no spirituality to the phylacteries or the the tassels. They took a, a, a holy individual thing and made an exclamation of how awesome they were. And you and I do the same thing. We want people to know when we give money. We want people to know when we sacrifice how many of you have ever uttered this statement? Don't raise your hand. I've statement. If people knew what I did, your heart's being taken in the wrong way. Like we to serve God because He loves us and He gives us the strength and the ability to do so. We got to give money to Him because it's all His, anyways. When we start holding and hungry and want to be noticed and want to be acknowledged for what we're doing, then it's about us and not about God. It has nothing to do with it. In fact, Jesus tells us that you've had your reward in full when someone says it. So for me, it's like I'd rather not be known. I'd rather, I'd rather it never be noticed by a single person and have that little bitter moment with God and myself going, oh, I want people to notice God, but I'm gonna let it go. And I feel like God says, good, child. Good, your reward will be full in heaven. Pharisees, did. they lacked spirituality. There was no real spirituality. It's like going to church every week just to say that you go to church, but not living for Christ. Why? It's like, we've talked about this over and over again. Why pretend? You're not helping anyone pretending. You're not fooling God. You might be able to fool your spouse and everyone else around you for a time, but don't worry, that whole talent and character thing will, will play itself out at one point or another in your life. Jesus goes on in verse 6. Is they love the place of honor of feasts and best seats in synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. They love this. They love this. They love this idea. Now, I want to real quickly define rabbi. In Jesus' day, rabbi had come to mean so much more than just teacher. This is important because, because for, predominantly for most of us would understand rabbi is just a teacher of scripture. No, in Jesus' day, it had become almost to a point of meaning the supreme one like holy one. This is, this, had, this had worked its way up to mean excellency or knowledgeable one or great one. Rabbi had become this huge statement to say to someone. To call them rabbi was literally to like prostrate yourself before them saying, you are holy. That's what that word had come to mean. And the Pharisees relished in that. They loved it. They loved it. In fact, I, I want to tell you, I've seen this in today's life, but I've seen it for the positive, so I want to share that real quickly. In the Philippines, Pastor William and and Mercy, they live in a small province called Novotis Slums. A a team of us are headed over there in um, February again to do some medical. Amazing, amazing, amazing people. They have spent 24 years selflessly serving this incredibly impoverished, impoverished, like place, doing amazing work. And if you walk with William through anywhere in this area, and you walk around, and all the way you're walking around, people are yelling, Pastor! Pastor! And they're coming out, and they're greeting him, and he's like he's like the, like the godfather of this whole area, right? Everyone loves him. But they love him for the right reasons. He doesn't go, yes, kiss my ring. You know, come to me. No. They love him because he has been serving them faithfully by the Lord's strength for 23 years. They love him because he has lived out what he has preached. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It was, it was amazing. I was, I was brought to tears the first time I experienced that to understand both a, a a pastor that could do that for so long and and be a people that were willing to follow that. It's just beautiful picture of what the kingdom is to look like. And so I've seen it in beautiful ways. What these Pharisees, there were actually there were actually rules on if you did not greet a rabbi like, appropriately that you could get in trouble. Like they were, they had rules like, oh, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't prostrate yourself enough for me. Sorry. No, you kissed the wrong ring. You know, this is, you know, off of his head. It wasn't that, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like they, they had these rules on having this thing and and, in feasts, people would normally do a U table. So a table that would kind of be like a U in place, The, the place of prominence that was kind of the head of that. And the Pharisees would want to be in that spot. And everyone knew that whoever sat in there, they sat there because they were important and they were valuable, And they were holy, and they were the best ones, and the Pharisees relished in those positions. Similar, I think, a lot of pastors today relish in being called pastor. It's a dangerous, dangerous line that we walk, guys. Where We can honor those that that teach God's word, but yet not hold them in a spot where they're too high. The Pharisees relished in that. The Pharisees lacked Humility. In fact, did you know that there were um, there were actually rules in the, in the Talmud, which is kind of a, a it's a collection of Jewish laws and traditions. Okay, in there, there is actually uh, it was considered more punishable of an act to go against the words of a scribe than it was to go against the words of Scripture. Like, how backwards is that? It's completely upside down when Jesus is on his head. It's a mess, and these these, these Pharisees they lacked humility. They wanted to be known and proud and be excited. It's like there's nothing wrong with walking into a a church and wanting people to notice you or to know you. But when it's coming in and wanting to be known, guys, that's pride. You lack humility. The beginning of the the Beatitudes, the beginning of Jesus' teaching talks about blessed are the meek. Not the, the known, not the boastful, not the proud. Blessed are the meek. Jesus is taking their reality and flipping it upside down. He's saying to them, do you realize that you lack humility? And some of you, my fear is you lack humility. And you know it. You really, 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 maybe you're so, so, so far gone. Just look at your spouse or someone that's close to you say, hey, am I prideful? And be honest with me. And then just brace yourself, okay? You're like, you know, who knows? But, but you lack humility. And, and you, you think it's okay to be proud. Yet we have scriptures that says God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be on the side of grace than the opposition when it comes to God. And these Pharisees, they lacked humility. They wanted to be known. They wanted everything. This is honestly, this is why it's so dangerous on who we follow out there. Social media is, is so difficult. I joke, and I've told some people this, where there's certain scholars that I've uh, like asked into my heart because they're so awesome. That's a, that's a dangerous statement, okay? <laughs> like, that's a really dangerous statement. I joke about it, but we, we all need to be very careful about who we follow. This is Jesus. Like, he's about ready to talk, so just in case you're wanting, spoiler alert, right? Right after this, guess what begins? A bunch of woes. And if you're wondering, woe is not a good thing, okay? And it's woe about these type of people about these people that are lacking integrity and lacking spirituality and and have no authority. Lacking, lacking humility. Those that, that, that their spirituality is all for, for show, for others to see. And there's no real genuine following, no desire. And then Jesus turns it upside down on his head. He ends in this really, really positive light before he goes into the woes. Verse eight but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for he, you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse, us a couple things. Again, rabbi here was meant to be a supreme one. You're not, you're not, you're not meant to call someone master. So he's saying here. You have one master, you have one instructor, you have the Christ, and no one will ever come and replace Jesus until he comes back again. And no one's going to replace him, it's him that comes back again. So he's saying this, now he's not saying you can't have an earthly father, but he's talking about a heavenly father. In fact, we see in scripture, Jesus is called rabbi in Matthew 26, twice, and in John 1 and 3. Paul calls himself a father in 1 Corinthians 4 and Philippians 2. Paul called other Christians his children in Galatians 4. And Paul calls himself a teacher, 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Timothy 1. So we know that there is a right form of teacher and a right form of father, but not what Jesus is talking about. So what Jesus is doing is you have to look at the play on words here. Jesus is saying that there is no other Messiah. There is no other Christ. He is it. He is one. And many will try to play that they are, but he is it. And there is no father. Now, this is what's unique, and this is where it's interesting. For you and me, all of us, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have one father, and that's God. He is our father. It doesn't mean that my earthly father goes away, but my, my loyalty and my, my, my following and my, my servitude goes to that father above all else. He is our one Father. There is no other Father. No one will ever replace us. This is why certain religions today use the word Father and that is a very, very dangerous thing. Some Protestant and Catholicism also use the term Father and they they want it to mean this style Father. This is in direct opposition of Jesus. This is a big thing. So he's saying, look, none. And then he ends it with, if you want to be great, if you want to be lifted up, humble yourself. Now, That's an interesting statement, but most of us, I'm assuming, think that humble is like a passive thing. Well, if I just sit around long enough, I'm gonna be humble. Oh, look at it, I'm just becoming more and more humble. No, humbleness, humble yourself, means that you have to actively seek out humility. Did you ever think about that? It doesn't just happen to you. Whoa, I just woke up this morning so humble. It never happens that way. No, it's us continuing to die to ourselves, laying down our position, stepping off of a pedestal that our spouse or some other individual may put us on. It's continually, actively seeking out that I will not allow pride to be in my life. I will humble myself. And then guess what? The best thing happens. You're exalted in the Lord. And that's where I want to be exalted. I don't want to exalt myself. That's lame. And you shouldn't either. You should want to be exalted by God. So it's, it's humble yourselves. And Jesus comes in and says, look, everything about these Pharisees lack Humility. There's no integrity, there's no spirituality, there's nothing. Like they all lack. But ultimately what it comes down to is if they had the humility to understand which some of the Pharisees did, Nicodemus, others, if they had the humility to understand that, that what position they have wasn't theirs to have unless God had given it to me anyways, they would have humbled themselves a long time ago and then God would have exalted. I mean great. Jesus came to serve. Why wouldn't we serve? Jeremy's gonna come up and we're gonna we're gonna worship some more. We are all brothers and sisters, belong to one family, with one father. Whether the person is famous on social media or they are never, ever known in your life, we're all brothers and sisters called to do something. We, we can teach, by the way, 1 Thessalonians 5 does say that um, human teachers who faithfully proclaim and interpret the word of God are to be appreciated, loved, and esteemed. So teaching is something that's good but it's done under the authority of God and God alone. So if I get up here and teach anything other than the word of God, get me out of here. If you're following someone that's teaching something other than the word of God, stop. There's no authority except for scripture. That's our authority, guys. Now let's start living as though we believe that, not just say we believe that, amen? We pray, God, thank you for your word. It's scripture like this that's hard to come to when we can see that there are areas in which our lives, we are lacking integrity, God, where we are relying too much on talent and our character is suffering. Lord, I pray for for every individual in this room and those that aren't here, God, I pray that they would be um, overwhelmed by your work, your spirit as he moves in us to redeem um, character that would look more like your son, Jesus Christ. Where we lack integrity, God, would you overwhelm us with integrity? Where we lack spirituality, God, would you bring us to authentic spirituality? Where we lack humility, God, would you break our pride down in such a way that we can not move without being done so in humility? Lord, we pray that we would never, ever be a part of the pharisaical system, but we would be a part of your kingdom here on earth as you are making it come as it is in heaven, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.